0: Welcome to The Leadership Trip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome to the table another incredible guest. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of The Leadership Trip.
1: everybody, welcome back to the Leadership Drip. Jeff, it is a good day in the neighborhood. you want to know why? Why is it a good day in the neighborhood? Because we have a stinking awesome new producer for our show.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, but she's done a couple of episodes, but I think we introduced her on socials today, but which would yeah. be like the, on the recording day. So
1: everyone on the Leadership Drip, please welcome Bethany Farnsworth. Shout out. Whoo- Shout out. Whoop, whoop. Welcome, Bethany. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Okay, but seriously though, we do have a we. <laughs> like that wasn't serious. Seriously, no, it was, it was totally serious. <laughs> okay, okay. Don't edit that out. That's that's a blooper, I think. But uh, on the other hand, on the I'm other try, hand, I'm there trying go. to think of a good transition. Sentence. That was well
0: done. On the other hand,
1: we have an incredible guest today. We do. His name is Mo Huggins. He's a good friend of mine. Good friend of the university here at Lee, and uh, recently just spoke at uh, our convocation night, which is a powerful service. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, but uh, Pastor Mo is the lead pastor at Mountain West Church in the suburbs of Atlanta. He is a dynamic communicator, a fellow university uh, grad and alum, and he's a friend of the podcast and a friend of the university. Mo, welcome to the show, bud.
2: Man, Rob, Jeffrey, I am so glad to be on the leadership drip. Um, you guys have had a lot of great folks on here, and I'm just honored to be uh, considered and to to have this conversation. I'm, I'm trying to do the math. So yeah. other than the us two,
0: how many Lee alums do we have? Ellie Bonilla,
1: right? Ellie Bonilla.
0: Grayson was a student but now an alum. Yeah. So is is Mo the f- third alum of Durso, the university? Chris Durso. No, he's not an alum. We he's we gave him alum, honorary status. He's an honorary like, status. He spent like right? a semester here. Still counts. I guess if you ate a Jenkins, you you count. Yeah. Mo, if you ate a Jenkins? <laughs>
1: Mo, have you eaten a Jenkins, bro?
0: Alright, then it counts. <laughs> Okay, now you said something to me when when you were here for convocation that you waited to get your hair cut by a specific barber here in Cleveland, so
2: I, I gotta know the story why Why did you wait So uh my uh, barber, uh, my favorite barber of all time, still lives in Cleveland, Tennessee. We went to school together at Lee and he fell in love with Cleveland and stayed so any excuse I can get to come to Cleveland. I'm gonna come here and get my hair cut. And it, it's, there's just nothing like having the person who knows how to cut it right. Their yeah. precision, um, their level of excellence, and you compare everything else to that and it just doesn't measure up. So, sorry to us, my other
0: Yeah, you, you told us, like, he first started cutting
2: your hair in the dorm room? Yep, in Hughes Hall.
1: I love a good black market barber. <laughs>
2: uh, I'm dating myself here. But this was back when Hughes was um, near the, cafeteria. Um, the rec center and yeah. cafeteria. Okay,
1: nice. So, no, I, I feel you on that, though, man. You When you find somebody who knows how to cut your own head, oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? That's a big deal, it, right? It is.
0: It's a relationship. It, it is. really is. You know? It is. Listen, it's a deeper relationship. I mean, maybe not next to your spouse, but it's like one step down from that. Somebody who can cut your I hair right. I like will Jesus. cry for a bad haircut.
1: Man, I mean, brother Jesus massaging my head.
2: Children.
1: Yeah, I mean, barber, you, you know? think about it. You're in the chair. You know, homeboy's massaging your head. He's washing your hair. That's pretty intimate. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a deep relationship.
2: And, and
0: I don't care what you <laughs> say. A bad haircut, it'll it grow out, but it's going to take a minute. Yeah, so you painful. can carry that around for a couple of weeks. It's so. painful. It's yeah. painful.
1: So, Mo, man, uh, let's get into some of the, some of the content here because I, I love your experience. I love your story. And it really for you, um, for us, and we talk a lot about it on the show. But really for you, uh, where you are today, sort of the success of who you've become as a pastor and a leader, um, was really largely in credit to some of the great mentors that you've had in ministry, um, yeah. especially Marty Baker, you know, who's a who's obviously a fan and an alumni of the university as well, Pastor Stevens Creek Church there in Georgia as well. Um, so walk us through a little bit about. Um, what it means to serve under a great long term pastor, and how that mentorship really affected who you are today as a leader and a pastor.
2: Yeah, I think, and you know, it's so cliche, but I really think you can't learn or you can't start leading until you are able to follow somebody. No. And I think it's a biblical model of learning under somebody before you go and do that very thing that you um, desire to do. When I got to Stevens Creek, I I told Pastor Marty, I knew what I was called to do, but I knew God had sent me to learn from him. And um, I mean, outside of my dad, uh, he's the most influential mentor and leader um, in my life. Uh, There's just, I, we would have to do a week of podcasts for me to download all of what Um, I learned from him, but if I could sum up just in one kind of big idea is he, he taught me how to be steady as a leader. Mm. And I think it's steady in the sense of knowing what the vision is and where God has called you to and where you are going and being able to be flexible enough that when it's time to pivot, so that it helps you accomplish that, you're able to do that. But even in the moments where it seems like it's not working out the way you thought it was to stay the course when, uh, you know, a couple of people are grumbling or mumbling and just be steady as a rock and, you know, trust is consistency over time. Yeah, and What people are looking for is can they trust you to lead? Is there security in your leadership? Are you, sure and where you're going and where you're trying to take us. And I think um, there's so many Martyisms, but you know little things like being clear is better than being cool and just knowing who God has created you to be and standing firm in that and walking in that authenticity. I think so many times, many leaders try to emulate their favorite leader mm-hmm. and God doesn't bless mm-hmm. who you pretend to be. He wants to bless who he created you to be. Yeah, There's power in your authenticity. And that authenticity will take you further than the pretending of the great leader that you have seen. Yes, you're going to pick up habits and model some of those things. But it's really finding out how God has wired you and walking in that place of authenticity and leading people from that um, place. Steady and sure and um, trustworthy
1: i love it when a show starts off with with a great tweet i mean that's that's an incredible quote i mean i don't know if that's a martyism or not but but god god blessing not who you pretend to be but who you are called to be right that's it's such a powerful thought created to be so let's let's follow that thought just a little bit because i think this conversation on leadership consistency is extremely undervalued right i mean what does it mean to be consistent as a leader and that leadership trust over time is earned. It's, you know, it's gained. Um, Kuzas and Posner who write a ton on leadership development, they have massive studies, more than a million leaders that they've interviewed over the last 20 or 30 years in their work. They say that this leadership consistency is probably one of the top three principles of leadership in general. Are you going to do what you say you're going to do? Can you be consistent in your leadership? Right. And so in a culture or a generation where Consistency is difficult, you know, at best, right? Because everything changes so quick. Um, yeah. How are you navigating as a pastor, as a senior leader, uh, the changes that are coming your way? I mean, just COVID in general, like you can meet, you can't meet, you wear masks, you don't wear masks. Like, I mean, how, how do you, how are you navigating these leadership consistency questions? I,
2: I go back to that word steady, and if I can add the word integrity there in the sense yeah. of, knowing, again, who you are called to be, recognizing that you won't please everybody, but you can have respect from everybody. The, it, and, and what I mean by that is they may not like what you decide to do, but they will respect the fact that, hey, this guy, is a, a guy or girl is a person of principle, they're a person of integrity, and whether or not I agree with them is... Is it's not yeah. of consequence in that particular state. I know I can trust that what they say is what they're going to do. Um, at a church like ours, it's it's very unique because we are not just um, you know a lot of people call multi claim to be multicultural, but they're just multicolored. We yeah, are really yeah. multicultural, where there are people who are fully themselves in our church, and so. COVID has been one of the the great testers of our unity. One of the things we say here is our preferences bow to God's ultimate purpose, and he wants his children to be one, even as G, the high priest prayer. I, I pray that you are one, even as me and the Father as one are one. And so uh, we say that around here. We may not always get it the way we desire it but our preferences are gonna bow to God's ultimate mission and purpose for his church to be united. But COVID did some testing of that mm. um, identity of us. You know, we had two two opposing sides. Some who mm-hmm. are saying, look, if you wear masks, that's of the devil and I'm not coming back until you get rid of the mask. And some who said, hey, if you have, if. You're not wearing masks. I'm not coming back until you put on masks. And so you just got to realize there's no pleasing everybody, but you've got to walk in the integrity and that steady um, focus, knowing that where God is taking you, where God is leading you, how he has told you to move forward is worth the risk. And don't yeah. look at the winds and the waves like Peter did. Just keep walking towards where Jesus is leading you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so good, and and what I'd kind of like to, to ask you, Mo, is, is I, I know of Marty, spent some time with Marty, incredible leader. How did he allow that space for you as a young leader to be authentic and grow into that? Because sometimes I feel like, like was for young leaders, we don't give them the space to sort of explore that, make some errors. I think learning authenticity is also about making errors and you having space for that opportunity. How how did that look for you? And maybe how are you doing that there at Mountain West Church, letting young leaders find themselves and find their own voice?
2: Yeah, I think it starts with, um, uh, Craig Rochelle says this, uh, trust is given, mistrust is earned in his organization. (laughs) I think that's something Marty kind of operates in. You know, he hired me, and then two weeks later, I was preaching my first sermon there. And so it was very much a, hey i'm going to i'm going to trust you and see what you're able to do and he he creates space for us to make mistakes and like a loving mentor coach father pastor um there were a couple of times where i got off that stage and he met me right there with a smile handshake and some healthy encouragement <laughs>
1: and
2: it, it was helpful because it it made me better and i think um, there are two things happening in culture today. Um, my generation and the ones younger than us, our gifts are so developed at this stage that it gives us sometimes access to rooms that our character is not able to handle. Yeah. And what we need is a mentor, a pastor, a father who can help develop and cultivate in us the character to keep us in the places that our gifting opens the door for us. Yeah. So, and that's part of what, uh, you know, Marty uh, was doing. He, he wasn't intimidated by having gifted people around him. He just coached us, developed us, created opportunities for us. I hosted a radio show for two years in Augusta because he, he said, you know what? you'd be good at this and you need to get your voice out there. And he created room and connected me with those individuals. And then he'd critique it afterwards. Hey, here's something you need to watch out for. And I'm trying to emulate that here. I think it starts with just giving folks an opportunity. Yeah, Um, yeah. not going to get it perfect in the beginning, but you got to give them space to try. There are some things you just don't get better at unless you start doing it.
1: So talk to me a little bit then, because I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, in my time in in pastoral ministry, um, especially when I was when I was under under Rick's leadership at Saddleback, I mean, he would always tell me, you know, fail every single week. Like you should be failing at something every single week Mm -hmm. Just try not to make the same mistake twice. right? I mean, like, like, let's don't repeat those failures if, if at all possible. So talk to me a little bit about what you see in the perception of the church as this fear of failure. Why do we. Why do we equate failure with somehow our identity or you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like talk me through that. Like what's because I think that's a cultural thing that we need to address.
2: Yeah, I think it's self-righteousness. I think it's uh self-righteousness. I think it's uh works, I think it's a desire to be l- let me speak for myself. I think it's a desire to look polished and feel like Everything is together instead of really depending totally on the fact that God's strength is made perfect in my weakness, that we have this treasure in earth and vessels, that the excellency may be of power, may be of God and not of men. And um, I, I think it really comes down to American culture says, post your highlights, post all of that, what's going yeah. right, what looks good. Put the image out there that you want to be seen. And I'm, I'm all here for curating um, what you want to be seen. But at the same time, you miss an opportunity to really be developed if you don't take the chance to to try something. It's at that edge of, hey, this is all I know how to do, that you get to tap into faith opportunities and opportunities to to accomplish something that you hadn't been able to before, and so I I, I try things off the wall, and that's one thing Marty encouraged us to do. Uh, right before COVID, he was just like, "We need to make a, a difference in our community," and so I was like, "I don't have elementary kids, but I'll start a dads group at an elementary school." And I didn't know yeah, what I yeah. was doing, but we tried it, and um, it worked the first two weeks and then COVID came and it shut down. And so, <laughs> You know? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think if you think, if we think about it logically, it's so antithetical to the discipleship model, any discipleship model that Jesus gave, or even in the old Testament that it gave. I mean, because he was constantly um, correcting. Yes, but also encouraging the disciples through their failures and their mistakes. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, literally even up to the point of his death, they were arguing about, Uh, The power vacuum, you know, like who's going to sit on the right and the left? Like, you know, so I think I think we have to be a lot more willing as leaders uh, to allow for those that were mentoring, those that were discipling to to have mistakes. Because uh, something else that that Rick would always say is there's not a single Sunday that's going to ruin the church. You're going to have a you're going to you have a bad Sunday. Right. Somebody's going to preach a bad message. Right. Mm -hmm. The the worship isn't going to hit. You know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be off, right? So, no single Sunday can sink the church. Like let us give young leaders a chance to step in, and and get it wrong, yeah. In the process of learning how to do it right.
0: What, Mo, what I what I what I'm hearing from you, and what I know about um, Pastor Marty, and one of the things we're trying to do at our church is treat church like an experiment, like at all times, because an experiment has variables that are constant and things that change. And so, we, what we try to approach week to week is hey, if it's an experiment, we can change some variables to try to get some different outcomes. Um, yeah. And I think that's part of it that I think at some point, local church, they get afraid to change some of the variables. Like, because like, they're afraid if something changes, somebody's gonna be mad about it. So, how are you in your creativity, your innovation? sort of treating it as an experiment and going here are variables that we can tweak or change or make adjustments to kind of get a different outcome.
2: Yeah, I, I think um, um, you mentioned something there. If you are afraid to upset people, you will never. Um, it is that um, my friend Selwyn Arnold says this, is leadership is managing tension. You talk about putting in those variables and he compares it to a guitar and he said tension with the right tuning makes the best music mm. and so mm. you've got to put in some of these other variables you've got to twist and turn it because our mission is critical we're trying to reach mm. at least at our church our goal is to reach one more um as long as there's one more who does not know the gospel as long as there's one more who needs hope and yeah. redemption uh, that that's our model. And one shoe does one size doesn't fit all in that. There, there are other things that you need to do in order to reach them. And, uh, you don't want to be stale. Jesus was always shifting and moving and, uh, doing things differently. And if he's our leadership model, we should continually be fine tuning and working with Mm -hmm. that tension to make that beautiful music.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and I think, you know, some of the tension kind of this is a pretty good segue into the conversation because I think the tension often exists in the expeditiousness or the expedition of platform, right? And you've kind of hit on this already a little bit. So when we start talking about longevity, when we start talking about pastoral burnout, we start talking about um, our culture, who unfortunately um, is seeing a lot of unhealthy examples of pastoral leadership right yeah. um, and we don't need to name names we all know the names right we could just start flip you know flipping through the names of people even in the last year that have you know burned out or right. whatever sin whatever the things are right so so when we start talking about longevity what are some of the things that you have learned that can that can help preserve or help, uh, that you can implement from a from a leadership perspective to to keep that from happening faster than what it ought to or what it needs to. What's the healthy rhythm for you?
2: Yeah, Marty um, used to say to move at the pace of grace, and he used Jesus as an example. Jesus would do seasons of heavy pouring out and heavy ministry and then he would withdraw to replenish and develop himself. And I think it's important for us. And this one thing I try to work on myself is um, I want to go 110%, but I want to schedule those a couple weeks where I just pull away and it's a light week. I want to go three, four months, as hard as I can, and then take a couple of weeks that I'm not doing anything. I'm taking a break. Um, I schedule that into my preaching calendar. Um, I'll go six, seven weeks, and then I'm taking a couple of weeks off and different things like that. And so I think for longevity, you have to have, you have to have vision for how you want to close out your tenure. Right. I think so many of us just have dreams on what I want to accomplish, but not necessarily How do I want to close out that chapter? Right. Um, Nobody wants to talk about dying, but uh, we either all going to die or the rapture's going to come. Either way, (laughs) we've got to pass the baton and you don't want to pass it in a place of failure or in a place of decline. You want to position yourselves to pass that baton when it's in a great place, when it's a high place and close out, finish well. And so that's one of the things I think about, um, as I'm even structuring how I hire my staff, who I want around me is to help guard me from the things that I have a tendency to do, which is to overwork myself or to uh, just stay in the weeds too much and help guard me from that so that I can, um, I can finish well one of the things marty did he went from preaching 45 times to like 33 times 34 times a year and he began to pass on some of his day-to-day in the weeds and continue to get bigger in the vision casting and further on where we're going so that he could extend his life um, span as a leader i think that's just one of the important things so so Mo,
0: the, the the guy or girl listening right now who is in a small church, they're the solo staff member, they're going, Yeah, I would love to only preach 33 times or even forty-five times, right? And and so they don't see the the likelihood of taking any time off. What would be sort of your your advice, your wisdom to them who who are going 51 weeks because there's a Christmas cantata and they get that week off maybe or something, you know? You still uh, don't
1: Katata's, brother? You know, well, in some of these churches, maybe.
0: <laughs> that's another That's another podcast altogether.
1: What are we, Brooklyn, yeah, again? Like, yeah, Brooklyn have Tab again? Yeah, yeah, Brooklyn Tab. Go on, somebody. <laughs>
0: um, what, would you be, what would be the wisdom to them to how they can make that space um, to get some time off, to get some rest, so that they can be fresher the 48, 45 times they come
2: to the pulpit? One thing I would say is... Um, What you allow is what you will experience. And if you do not take the rest, your body will make you take the rest. And so we can come up with all these excuses. And some of it is, you know, pride in disguise. No one can do it as good as me. I have to do it. It has to be done. Take the rest, cultivate, develop somebody in your church who can cover you a few of the Sundays. Build some relationships with other communicators. Mm-hmm. Invest in that. You, I know it's all the same pot of money, and I know some things are challenging, but find young communicators and give them an opportunity. If I, whatever college town is in um, your city or young communicators are in your city, give them an opportunity right. to, to, to speak. But I, I would say what you allow is what you will experience and if you allow burnout and it's what you're going to experience you can take the time like like uh, rob said one sunday is not going to kill it
0: yeah yeah or you can find a good college friend who does a podcast with you to come speak one sunday so i mean like (laughs) that's right yeah like you get your calendar out we'll just go ahead and schedule that so that's right that's right right.
2: (laughs) yep and, so, and I, I would say if you're in a smaller church and you're like feeling overwhelmed, um, I would encourage you to, to look in the house, right? Yeah. They may not be at the level you want them to be yet, but part of leadership is developing others to mm-hmm. do, in fact, what Ephesians says is your job is to equip the saints to do the work yeah. of ministry. Yeah. And I would challenge you to start pouring into who you have there and giving them opportunity and coaching them to that next step so that you'd be able to take the break because you are better after rest exactly. than you are yeah. while you're running.
1: And I, and I think this goes to a cultural phenomenon for our churches too. And our church leaders, this goes in general, but there's a scalability to our expectations that we have to monitor, mm. right? Yes. So one of the really hard lessons I learned as a young pastor, pastoring a small church, less than 100 people, right, is I had to learn to scale my expectations because for a while, every single Sunday I was getting up and preaching my guts out and walking away disappointed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like you know, it, it's so we have to scale our expectations and that's not about excellence. It's not about doing the best job it's not about you know but but managing and scaling those expectations learning to maximize what you have and growing from where you are right so no you're not stevens creek yet you're not you know elevation or whoever else's name you want to throw in there doesn't really matter no you're not there yet maybe you never be there maybe that's not the calling or the identity or the spiritual house of that church maybe they're not supposed to be 500 or five thousand people maybe God's design for that church is to meet the needs of that community in a smaller setting. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. that's okay. Yeah. So learn to learn to really ex- uh, manage those expectations, scale those expectations so that you're not killing yourself to get somewhere that maybe you're not even supposed to go.
2: That's good. Yeah. Exactly.
1: You know what I'm saying? Like,
2: like, yeah. And all of that circles back to what I was talking about. Steady, mm-hmm. like Marty knew where he was going and, and, Other people did not influence that call on his life. I knew um, one of the things God told me when I was a broke college student is that I would pastor a large multicultural church. And um, what they like to do when you're young is, you know, put you in a small 20 person thing. Hey, all right, come on, see what you can do. And uh, I knew that wasn't the call of God on my life. Not that there was anything wrong with that. But when God had told me, this is where you're going, I knew what it was. And so everything yeah. that came to me that didn't match what God said, there were other opportunities that weren't multicultural. It, it didn't apply. And so I stayed steady with where I was going. And the door that was right began to open as I stayed faithful and secure yeah. in that.
1: But that means, what that means for us, Mo especially as young leaders, but even as older leaders who've been around a little bit, we've got to do the cultivating work of our soul to know who we are. That's good. Yeah. Right. Spend more time understanding the clarity of your own call than the desire to pursue or to chase after something that doesn't even belong to you.
0: Right. And if we're going to use, let's tie it to a sports analogy, like because everybody likes highlights and we, we all want to post our highlights we rarely celebrate the guy hitting the free throws. We want, to, right, we always want the right. the poster dunk, right? We want the home run. We're never cheering the guy on who hit the single, right? And so sometimes you got to shoot some free throws and knock those down and hit some singles and keep that going, so you get the opportunities to hit the home run because it's faithful in the small things. I mean, we gotta. I think the other conversation is, especially as young leaders, we're always looking to jump to the next big thing, never getting rooted where we are. And it sounds like for me, you took some time being at Stevens Creek. You took some time to be developed and, and mentored and you got rooted in that environment till till God was ready to move you on to the next garden. And that's a key, I think. So when did you know, like, hey, my time at Stevens Creek is done. I've grown to the level that I can go to the next thing. What was sort of the indicators, maybe the the spiritual signs of the Lord speaking that said, hey, now's the time?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um- you know, I sense <laughs> this is me being young and I'm a millennial. I sensed, I wrestled with two things. I felt like I was ready before I went to the creek. and <laughs> I wasn't ready, but yeah. that's how I felt. And so for the first couple years there, I wrestled with the tension of God, you've put in this dream inside me. You've said mm-hmm. this thing. I know you haven't released me from here. I'm gleaning so much, but I want to go do that. And I think it's, one, being able to surrender that that desire to you, desire to God and say, I'll wait on him. And that it wasn't until I became content with, this is my season, and I'm going to find joy, excellence. And it was a phenomenal time, but like I wouldn't let my... Spirit and my emotions get frustrated with me not doing and being where I desired to be. I, my last six months were the best time that I had in my entire season at Stevens Creek, but I knew something shifted. Um, in July, when I began, I preached a vision series there called All In about what God was going to do for the future at Stevens Creek, yeah. and I there was a duality there. I felt like I was doing my assignment of where we're going and they just launched the third campus this uh, past weekend. And, you know, they sent me pictures and I got to celebrate, but I kind of knew I may not be a part of the rest of this journey, that Mm -hmm. this was my last moment on passing the baton. This was my last word in this house to celebrate where they were going. And it was at the end of that series that Pastor Marty came to me and started talking to me about, mountain west and mm-hmm. so it, it just it all kind of correlated and yeah. um coincided
1: together and I think it's cool that you point out the fact that that you know I know you and Marty have a an incredible relationship an incredible history and that's you know unfortunately that's not always the case but it's really cool when we do see good examples and we do see God speaking to him as clearly as he's speaking to you because he's he's helping you cultivate that dream and that's really what he had been doing the entire time that you were at Stevens Creek was helping you cultivate, shape, understand, define, build, grow that dream that he already knew you had burning in your heart. And when he also saw that it was time for you to kind of think through what's next or pass the mantle or whatever, um, he came to you willfully, like, you know what I'm saying? Like he wasn't selfishly holding on. He wasn't recklessly letting go. He was, you know, he was there kind of helping you kind of work through that. And so, Ken you said something just a little bit ago and it kind of reminded me of an old saying that says the grass is always greener where you water it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, we we're always also looking where you fertilize it. Also where you fertilize <laughs> it, yeah. Well, I don't know how you fertilize your yard, but in the in the country I can tell you how we fertilize <laughs> our what I'm yard. You know what I'm That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so but but you don't get that green grass without some of that other Mm -hmm. stuff you know what i'm saying so but uh anyway so i think i think you know this is such an important lesson for young adults who are listening who are who are growing in their leadership growing in their understanding of who god is and how he's operating in their life wherever you are go in where you are because we can learn something from everyone good leader bad leader super healthy relationship and mentoring Or no mentoring relationship whatsoever. There are still things that you can learn and you can grow from where you are. and Just learn to go all in where you are until God moves you. Right? You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think the the conversation that that we can shift to, Mo, is we we talked a lot about Pastor Marty, his investment in you. I, I think the responsibility of a mentee is to become the mentor, so how either Mountain West or just maybe in your reach, otherwise, are you, have you become the father when you've been the son? How have you shifted that to that?
2: Yeah. I, and I, I think that's the one thing he asked me to do is just continue to, to pass that on. And so yeah. that's what I've been able to do. I have a group of guys that, um, I'm mentoring and I'm coaching and, um, Larry Stockhill, um, Stockhold or Stockhill, I can't remember his name, but he just said recently is the way you identify people who are willing to be mentored by you is they seek your affirmation, right? Mm. They want to share their wins with you. And so I I look for that and then I begin to pour into those individuals. If they're giving me access to their life and ask permission, but I begin to, hey, this is where you are excelling. This is something I want you to watch. Um, and, and I'm so glad we're talking about this. I literally have, uh, two guys right now that my word to them over and over is you need to rest because burnout is in your future. If you don't make rest a priority, you you're so driven, but God set the example for us. He it wasn't a deficiency of power that caused him to rest on the seventh day. It was a model of behavior for humanity that you could do more in six. Yeah. With a rest day than you can do going full out on seven days. And let, let's make it practical. Chick-fil-A does more in six days than McDonald's, Wendy's and Burger King does in seven That's days.
1: True. Especially because their ice machine's always down. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Why you oh, what is, to what is, what is Why that
2: you
0: about,
1: off? man? Like, like you are a global, <laughs> you are a global organization. You can't have a good ice cream maker. Like, let's fix that. Okay, I, sorry, that was, that was my EDD. way off the side, man. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rabbit trail. Sorry. A good <laughs> thing
0: McDonald's isn't a sponsor of the hey, show. Well, you know, so. yeah. Oh well. I, got, it, and I think it's valuable, Mo, What you're saying, and so the the thing. I have a, a mentor, and I'm referencing him here, Dr. William Lamb. You may know Dr. Lamb. Uh, He mentored me, and and the responsibility was freely you receive, not freely get, (coughs) excuse me, and I think somewhere along the line that passing the baton gets missed somewhere. Like, I don't know, and I've not been able to figure it out, and so I, I would love your insight. Like, so what are you coaching these young men on? Like, not so much what are you coaching, but when do they get released to become the mentors? Because like, I think it's always got to be going forward. So, so when is the point that you're, you're coaching them and leading them? And then you say, hey, your responsibility now is to give all this away.
2: Yeah, so I actually, um, everybody I coach and I and I'm mentoring right now, your job after the first or second time we meet is to begin to identify two other relationships That's in good. your life. I'm Paul. But you need to find silences that are your encouragers, your co-laborers. But then you need to identify a Timothy and begin pouring that. I think so many times we feel like you got to wait until you got it all together in order to start pouring in and leading other people. And that's not the case. There are people who are not where you are that you get to pour in to help them go further faster than they would without you. Yeah. and you have to start that before you get into leadership because if you're always a consumer you'll never be a contributor right
1: yeah. that, that goes all the way back to that conversation of that unholy desire for perfection right mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? that that is that is a sort of an unholy prideful kind of pursuit not excellence that's different yeah that perfection like yeah. do i have my stuff together um you know so i
0: and the, and the risk in these relationships, and Mo, you know this. Rob, you know it as well, is that when you pull the curtain back to people you're inviting into your life, they got to see the failings. They have yeah. to see the errors. And they get to see the mistakes. They get to see real life in your home. It's not just like, hey, here's my highlight reel. Follow me. It's like, here's real life. Here's where I've messed up. Here's where the bumps in the road are. And, and so the authenticity piece in mentoring discipleship is really just another word for it is is the critical component and then encouraging them to be authentic with with who they're they've invested in as a Timothy it's it's just i wish somebody like would just tackle this from a conference like it's never a conference conversation like like you always hear like dream big and grow the church and whatever and nobody's going hey find three people invest in them and go tell them to invest in three people like that's not on the conference stage anywhere where
2: well you know why it's because that individualistic mindset that is in culture has seeped into the church yes. where yep. Jesus says the greatest among you will be a servant, right? Yes. He, he, our savior said to his disciples, you'll do greater works. He's modeled for us what we should be doing. I'm pouring into the next generation, hoping that they go further, faster and do more than I, yeah. I, yep. I ever could. You know, whenever something good is happening after convocation, you know, Marty sends me a text encouraging me and saying good things about where I'm going and what God is doing. That's what a real mentor does is I want you to excel beyond Mm -hmm. where I am. And the higher you go as far as leadership, I think the more selfless you should become is that it's about helping others take their next step.
1: Yeah, which which begs the question then. Uh, leadership and influence aren't necessarily the same thing, because you can have a lot of influence but not necessarily mm-hmm. be a great leader, right? Yeah. And I, it's it's that short. I
2: like to say, I like to say leadership is applied influence. Yeah, it is that's that good general application of that influence toward a worthwhile cause.
1: We're both writing that. Yeah, you know, that's down. the sound of pins <laughs> on paper, right
2: there. That's, that's that. That delay
0: is pins on paper. We're writing that down. That's good. We're gonna seal we, that. We're gonna tweet that. We Three tweets becomes know, my own. You know, <laughs> 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 which is true. And, and so I think leadership is applied influence. Is a Great statement. Um, and it, it because everybody wants influence. I mean, it's some, yeah. we, we've adopted in culture to become influencers. But yeah. it doesn't in like in in leadership same way, it's become sort of a sexy symbol to be a leader of something, but nobody wants to be a servant like nobody wants to do the the dirty work of it um and what we found over and over, and this is the good news when we talk to young people who are influencers and who we consider leaders. Every one of them has a mentor. Yeah. Like I think about Hannah Granowski. I think about Ainsley Britton. I think about Odomen, uh, yeah. Char- um, Charlie Trey Hughes. Hughes. Every one of them has somebody investing in their life. And why why they're excelling and moving so fast in what they're doing, they have people pushing them to that next level.
1: And again, I don't think it's that influence is inherently evil or sinful in and of right. itself. But if we're talking about the leadership equation, it goes well beyond just influence into that leadership is applied influence, right? It's it, that's, that's really good. And so, um, kind of a shifting gears just a little bit here because I do want to touch base on this. It, we've, we've talked about it on the show a couple times, um, sort of the struggle of the American church, right? And, and obviously we're, we do great at it. Sometimes there are great examples. Uh, there are great leaders in this conversation, but you know, certainly coming from your perspective, as a young black American pastor, uh, what are some of those things that we could be doing better, especially with incorporating young adults into the church where we start talking about a little bit racial reconciliation. We start talking about multicultural, true multicultural, true multi-ethnic, not just multicolor, which is an important distinction where Mm -hmm. we celebrate and we understand and we walk with people in their journeys and their culture. So, so for you, coming, coming from your perspective, what are some ways that we can begin to engraft that into our normal rhythms of local church experience?
2: Yeah, I, I think um, it is a desire to have a heart like Jesus had. And so if you live in Timbuktu, um, Alaska, and it only is one people group, I don't expect your church to look anything different. I think multicultural is a a sexy term and everybody wants to do that. Here's what I think your church should look like your city. You are called to reach your city. And Jesus is our example. If you go down the line of his disciples, this is a ragtag group of folks. You got fishermen, you got elected uh, tax collectors, you got, Uh, potentially um, people who were connected to royalty. You've got all sorts of different folks. Oh, you got a zealot, somebody who wanted to overthrow the government. All of them are in his group of disciples who he begins this movement called the church with. And so if that's the case that Jesus was intentional about making sure his team looked like his community, And our church should be intentional about making sure that our church and our leadership in our church looks like our community.
1: And I appreciate the distinction there. Yeah. Leadership, not just congregation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Mountain West has done a great job. I I stalked their, their, uh, their website and and Mo and and whoever's team is, has put a great team together of, of diverse in, in, in color and ethnicity and gender. There's female staff like, like, he's practicing what he preaches. I mean, that's what's happening in mountain West. How have you strategically made those decisions as a leader?
2: Let me pause and just celebrate and honor my predecessor, pastor Michael Shreve, who Mm -hmm. he, I mean, he gets all the credit for Well, the the Lord gets the credit, but God used him to really build this phenomenal team and this uh, mosaic of people. And it was in his heart to build a church that looked like his community. And one of my life verses, which is why I was even interested in coming to Mountain West is Revelation seven and nine, every tribe, every nation crying glory to the lamb. I don't lose my distinction coming to Christ, but my distinctions pale in comparison to the ultimate unity that we have in Jesus Christ. We worship him together. And so um, one of the things I think is essential is, if you want a multicultural church, you've got to be intentional about hiring folks that don't look like you. You got to be intentional about putting people on stage who are different than you, the pictures um, looking different, Uh, empowering women in ministry. I know that's a taboo subject, but I believe God has called our sisters um, to ministry, just like he calls our brothers to ministry. And um, giving them ample opportunity to serve in ministry as well, and so um, it's just being intentional about what you desire to to see happen in, in your church. None of that happens by accident. You have to be intentional about what you want to see. It's it's kind of like uh, I said. I say this to my single folks. It's like if you are in your house praying for a husband or a wife, and you don't never leave your house, how? do you expect the Lord to give you an opportunity to meet somebody to get the spouse, right? You can't pray for diversity or pray for growth or opportunity or influence in your city. And you're not actively being intentional about taking steps in order to create space for God to put favor on it. Um, Here's what Marty says, you do the possible and God will do the impossible.
1: Yeah, that's so good. and I love that. I love that. Sort of that. Thought there that we have to be not only intentional with our desire, but we also, also have to be intentional with our effort. We actually got to put into action the faith, right? I mean, we've got to go out and find, we've got to seek after, we've got to ask questions about like, who do you know? You know what I'm saying? So I think, I think the intentionality is, is beyond just a desire thing. Cause I think at least in this circle, we would all say, yeah, we would love, we would desire to have a fully integrated fully multi-ethnic fully colored church you know that represents our community that's Mm -hmm. that's the desire but unless we go out and actually do something about it unless we go out and actually have the conversations or we actually go out and find the available candidates unless we actually go out and you know put into practice these things then then the desire is not enough to make it come to pass and so i think that translates across so much of our of our calling at so much of our identity so much of what god has created us to do you know even jeff and i like you know when we started the podcast it was because we realized we didn't know enough about the subject we wanted to write on so for the last <laughs> two and a half years we've been going Collecting out and data f- going out and finding people who know more than we do right and so so until we put it into action we're not actually going to get to where we want to go right we're not going to see god work in that way
0: Well, and I've been telling the church I pastor um, that one of the first questions somebody asks when they walk in is, do I belong? Like, that's the first question they're asking. Not what do you believe, not what songs do you sing, not any of that, but do I belong? And they're going to make that judgment based on a couple things. Who's in the seats and who's on the stage? And if there's not people who are, that look like them, that, that are from the same background, the same ethnicity, they're probably not going to stay. And so... Creating an environment of belonging by hiring or maybe not, maybe not if you're small church, not hiring, but, but empowering elevating, and elevated. elevating people into leadership of, of different race, different ethnicities, different genders is, is a church growth strategy without it being a church growth strategy. Like right. people are going to walk in and go, I belong here.
1: And they make that decision within seconds.
0: Seconds. Like 10.
1: Seconds. Not weeks. Not four or five trips. I'm talking in seconds.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's actually, so good. Yeah, well, we are we are pushing pushing time, and we want to honor your time, Pastor Mo. Um, we do have one final question. I know you're a Lee grad, but you also did some other schooling, so we want to leave it open to you as you, where how you answer the question. But we ask the same question to every guest, and we do record at the lovely Lee University here. That's right. Shout out, Lee. <laughs> what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom?
2: I I think, and this, I just didn't, two things that I didn't really hear. Maybe I wasn't paying attention in that class, but just how practical leadership and ministry is. I think I came from a really charismatic expression. And so, um, and even, you know, in school, sometimes, um, We use vague terms like spirit-empowered leadership and all of that, but just the practicality of doing ministry. Um, I think making sure that, yeah, I'm going to pray, but I'm also going to go and personally invite somebody and just do the practical things. I think the other thing um, that wasn't just, it wasn't talked about as much the necessity for accountability in ministry i cannot stress that enough and if you are listening and you are a young leader the last year has shown you you are not strong in your own strength there is safety in a tribe in accountability in book of proverbs it says it broadly like this that um in, um many advisors, I'm paraphrasing, there is safety in the uh, council of many advisors. Mm-hmm. And I would just encourage you, counsel you to always have accountability. I have about four or five guys that are able to ask me tough questions who um, are deeply involved in my life. There is no hidden parts. And that's because I don't want to flame out I yeah. want to finish strong and I would encourage you find accountability, it, it is healthy, find people that you can confess to people that you can walk with people who can encourage you and those two things I think um, I didn't learn that in the classroom, uh, but I'm so glad I did learn. Yeah.
1: That's awesome, Mo. Man, it has been a joy to have you on the show,
0: Rob. I feel like we we we're gonna record this episode and drop it and look back and go, we knew Mo win. Like we had him on the show before everybody else. (laughs) Like before he hits all the main line, big the the big podcast. We had him first, right? Before
1: you get on somebody else's show, you know. No, (laughs) man, really good. It's been a joy, dude. We love you here at Lee. You know that, and um, I need to get down to see you guys at some point. I know that as well, but. Um, yeah, if you're in the Atlanta you.
0: area, go to Mountain West Church. Go to
1: Mountain West Church. See Pastor Mo. <laughs> All
0: right, thank you guys. I right, bless you, As we you, man. always say here at the Leadership Drip, you've got to see the table. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channels. We appreciate you taking the time to join us, and remember, you always have a seat at the table.